Hello, Schweitzer. Welcome to worship. And if you're just joining us for the first time, a hearty welcome to you. I'm Pastor Jason. I have been away for the summer on a sabbatical and it is my first time back. It is good to be with you in worship today. Um, today, we're starting week two of a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about what does God do in us? What does the Holy Spirit do in us and, and create and curate in us the image of Christ? And how does that come out? Joy is that is, is one of those fruits. And today we're going to be talking about that. Pastor Spencer's got a sermon for us in just a few moments. But if you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you. And if you would like a coffee on us, just use the virtual check-in. We'd love to send you a coffee, a gift card for a coffee. It'll be fantastic. If you've been with us for a long time and you'd like some discussion questions, you can go to schweitzer.church next. You'll find sermon discussion questions and all kinds of other ways where you can grow in your faith here through Schweitzer. But we are so glad that you've joined us today. I'm looking forward to this worship time together. I'm so glad you've tuned in. And up next is downtown Jenny Brown with some things that are happening at Schweitzer this week. Hi, welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Jen Brown. So glad you're here today. Just want to share some ways you can get connected here at the church. As a Christ-centered, community-focused church, there are many ways that we help people get connected in small groups, Bible studies, and all kinds of opportunities. I wanted to highlight some things this week related to our short-term classes. This Tuesday, September 19th at 6 p.m., we're starting up a new short-term class called Find Your People. This is on the topic of loneliness and will be a great way for you to build relationships and also talk about loneliness in our culture today. We know this class will be an encouragement for you, so please sign up today. And next Sunday, September 24th, Pastor Jason will be leading a new small group on the Book of Romans. And finally, on Tuesday, September 26th, we'll be starting up a new class focused on marriage. Mark Mildred will be leading this class and it's great for couples of any age. As you can see, we have all kinds of groups and classes coming up. You can find out about more of these in the Fellowship Center today or online at schweitzer.church groups. In case you haven't heard, this year we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Flourish Food Pantry at Schweitzer. This will be an incredible night as we celebrate together at the Old Glass Place on September 30th. You can purchase tickets today in the Fellowship Center or online at flourishcdc.org. Coming up on Saturday, October 14th, we have two great events happening here on campus. The first is our guys breakfast happening at 8 a.m. And the next one is a women's event happening from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Both of these will be great ways for you to get connected, enjoy a day together with guys out or gals. And you can learn more about both of these at schweitzer.church next. I want to wrap up today's announcements by sharing some things that are happening with our Schweitzer kids. Coming up on Friday, October 6th, our Schweitzer's Kids team is putting together a fun event called Putt-Putt and Pumpkins. We'll play mini golf and have a trunk or treat. This will be a great community-focused outreach. And of course, we need lots of volunteers. Also, this Friday, September 22nd, Schweitzer Kids is hosting another outdoor movie night. This will be at dusk, and the movie we'll be showing is Over the Hedge. Our movie nights are a great time together and also bring people to our campus in a whole new way. You can always learn more about these events by stopping by the Blue Booth or going to schweitzer.church kids. Thanks again for joining us today. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Jen, for those words of things that are happening this week. 
And now, just a reminder, if you'd like to find other things to, to plug into, you can go to Schweitzer.church slash next. You'll find all kinds of things available to us. And now as we get ready to worship, I'd like to read a little bit from Psalm 46. A river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city and it cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Friends, let's rejoice in what God has done. Let's rejoice in this new day. Let's worship together.
Friends, as we come to a time of prayer, I want to invite you to join me in praying a prayer that comes from the book Every Moment Holy, and it's part of the morning hour of prayer. And so I invite you to, as you see the words, just join me in praying together today. We open our hearts anew to you this morning, O Lord, that the love of the Father and the life of Christ and the breath of the Spirit would quicken within us a greater affection for your ways. Work your will in us, Lord Christ. Open our eyes and our hearts, O Lord, to your words of truth. Prepare our bodies for the labors of this day. Give us strength and health to complete them. Prepare our minds for the demands of this day. Give us clarity, creativity, and discernment. Prepare our souls for the sorrows and joys and celebrations and disappointments we will encounter that every circumstance would serve only to draw us near to you. May our words, our choices, and our actions today be offered as true expressions of worship. And lead us this day, Lord Christ, that we may walk its paths in the light of the hope of your coming redemption. And together with Jesus, we pray the prayer he taught his disciples and us. When we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, this summer, one of the things I did was I listened to a bunch of podcasts. One of the things I heard about was a growing sense in many places of a loneliness epidemic. Well, I don't know if loneliness is hitting you, but one of the ways that Schweitzer's trying to bring people together to see joy, to experience joy, to also be connected and to connect with Christ is a ministry that started a couple years ago called Second Seasons. It's primarily for people 50 plus in our community. They connect around tables, they hear presentations, hear about things that are happening within the church and within the community and how we might contribute both to what God is doing and to the common good. It's been a fantastic experience. So we're celebrating two years of Second Seasons, plus we're looking forward to an event they're going to hold at the end of October. You're going to be hearing more about that event. You're going to be invited to be a part. We hope you are a part of that event. But we say all of that to say Second Seasons has been a way where the transforming power of Christ has met with people and it's impacted our community. 
and you have been able to contribute to it through your faithful giving of, and generous giving of your tithes and offerings. We're so thankful. And we can continue to contribute to what God is doing today by giving our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. You can do that in a number of ways through the Church Center app, online. You can put something on a drone and drop it off via that way. I don't, you know, you can imagine all kinds of ways. But be joyous in giving because as we rejoice in our giving, God does some amazing things with it, both in the church and the community and in the world. So we rejoice what God does with with generous and joyful giving. Now, we've been talking about joy this whole time, so we're going to turn to Galatians and hear about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. Let's dive in. Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us. Today is part two of our series called The Fruit of the Spirit. We're spending nine weeks diving deep into one passage, Galatians 5, 23. Very, very famous passage. It goes like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The plan for this series is really, really simple. Each week, we're just gonna take one of those words and dive in deep. Now, along the way, we're gonna have a conversation about growth, how Christians grow, and uh, what it is that we need to have in our lives in order to live into these things. So today, part two, we're gonna look at the second word. Last week was love. This week, we're gonna talk about joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Let me say that differently. The natural outgrowth of a person who belongs to Jesus is joy. And the reason why that joy is the natural outgrowth of, of someone who belongs to Jesus is because um, as we grow in Him and live in Him and have fellowship with Him, as, as we submit our lives to Him, the character of God is going to grow in us. And what is God's character like? Well, one of the things God is like is God is joy. God is joyful. And that's probably not a lot of, uh, for a lot of us, it's not a word that we would use to think about God's character as joy. Uh, we might think about God as being maybe angry or stern or maybe a little bit sour. And maybe that's because that's how we see a lot of Christians act. But, but the truth is that God is supremely joyful. Um, I think about something that Dallas Willard, the great Dallas Willard wrote, um, reflecting on uh, this experience he had while he was on a beach in the morning and was just struck by the incredible beauty of that scene. And later reflecting on just the beauty of that, that morning, Dallas Willard writes this. He says, Gradually, there crept into my mind the realization that God sees this all the time. That's so incredible. He goes on, he says he sees it, experiences it, knows it from every possible point of view. This and billions of other scenes like and unlike it. In this and billions of other worlds, great tidal waves of joy must constantly wash through his being. 
He goes on, he says, God leads a very interesting life and that he is full of joy. Undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness. I just love that. God is joy. This is what God is like. And of course, Jesus taught us this too. I think about some of the stories that Jesus told us about what God is like. I think about the story, for instance, when Jesus said that God is like a, like a woman who loses a coin in her home. And so she sweeps the whole house and looks and searches for the coin. And when she finally finds it, she calls all of her neighbors together and says, let's party because I found this lost coin. Or, or I think about how Jesus talks about how God is like this father who has two sons and the younger son comes to the father and asks for his inheritance before the father has died. And for whatever reason, the father gives the son his inheritance and the son takes the money and just wrecks his life. And, 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 and the son, as he's wrecking his life, meanwhile, the father is back home and he's sitting on the porch waiting for the son to come home to him. And he's just looking down the road day after day. And when he finally sees the son off in the distance, he starts to sprint after his son to, to embrace him. And he tells everyone to, to throw a party because this lost son of his has come back home. This is what God is like. He celebrates when the lost are found. Or when I think about how Jesus was one day walking down the road and there were these crowds around him. So this prominent tax collector climbed a tree and so he could get a better view of Jesus. And Jesus finds him and he looks up in the tree and he says, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to your house tonight because you're gonna throw a party. Like this is what Jesus was like. He was a man who was full of joy. He celebrated. He, he was a man who, who would rejoice. And, and, and this is what he taught us that God is like as well, that God is joyful. This is his nature, his character. And so therefore, as disciples of Jesus, as we grow in him, as we live in him, as we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, joy, just like we talked about last week with love, joy is going to be this natural outcome of someone who belongs to Jesus. Eugene Peterson points out that when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, these are not commandments. Like this is not like a thou shalt be joyful this week. <laughs> and, so, and so we don't grow in joy because we're obeying some sort of commandment. Like this week, I'm gonna try really hard to, to be joyful. No, no, no. These, these fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and all the rest, they come because they are an out growth, an outcome of living a life in fellowship with the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit. They, they come because we are living in the right kind of relationship, pursuing God, living in obedience to God. And when we find ourselves living in the right kind of relationship with the Father, the natural outcome, the natural outgrowth is that we will become people of joy. This is the promise here. I mean, I think about it like this. What does an apple tree have to do in order to produce apples? Well, an apple tree just has to be an apple tree. In the same way, uh, what does a Christian have to do to live into joy? Well, a Christian just has to be a Christian, has to uh, live in relationship with Jesus uh, through the Father. This is what we do as we live in a relationship with Him. This is what happens within us as we grow in this, uh, this joy that is the very character of God. This is the kind of thing that we see, and this is why we, when we read the Bible, really joy is found all over the Bible. And, and joy has this way of, of being described in the Bible, of not just being there in times of rejoicing, 
but really also in times of, of difficulty and struggle and, and strife and grief and loss and setback and adversity. And, and so it's often, as you read through the Bible, you will see joy right alongside some of the harder things in life because this is the understanding of, of the biblical teaching is that there is a kind of joy because it comes from the Father that is available to us no matter what it is that we're facing. Let me give you a really good example of this. And let's go to Psalm 30. Psalm 30 was written by David. Um, in my Bibles, uh, Psalm 30 has a description. Descriptions are really generally helpful to read as you're reading the Bible, reading the Psalms. And so here's the description um, of Psalm 30 in my Bible. It says, a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. Now we just learned something really incredibly important about this psalm and that this was written by David for the purpose of the dedication of the temple. Now, if you were with us over the summer, we spent 15 weeks going pretty deep in the David story. And you might hear this description for the dedication of the temple. And if you were with us over the summer, you might think to yourself, hold on a second, David didn't build the temple. And if you thought that, I'm so proud of you. You, you, you remembered it correctly, right? David did not build the temple. David wanted to build the temple. This was his great ambition in life. And we talked about this really pretty much every week through the month of August, that David had this great ambition in life to build the temple. But because he had been a warrior, God said he had too much uh, blood on his hands, and so his son Solomon would build the temple. And so you have this incredible ambition that David has that has to be set aside because the Lord said no. And imagine then the disappointment that that must feel like for David. I mean, he, he has so much ambition to do this that he writes a song about it that he'll never see fulfilled because it's not gonna happen in his lifetime. There has to be just incredible disappointment within David because of this great ambition that will never be realized. Now, with that in context, let's read Psalm 30. That has some incredible lines about biblical joy. Here's how it goes. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And then listen to this line. This is so good. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing, joy comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I'll never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. There's such great lines here. I mean, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You turn my wailing into dancing, remove my sackcloth, clothe me with joy. This is absolutely incredible, especially when you consider the context that this is written in the midst of a disappointment that this great ambition would never be realized. And yet, even in the midst of this disappointment, there is this expectation for joy. And this is what we see in the Bible really on a regular basis. Let me give you some other examples. Romans chapter 12, this is Paul. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I just want you to catch that. There is joy right alongside affliction. Another example, 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Listen to these words. Oh my goodness. 
in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Catch that. There is joy right alongside severe trial, not just a trial, a very severe trial and not just poverty, but extreme poverty. And yet there's joy. Or a um, very classic example, James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And again, catch that. There's joy right alongside these, these trials of many kinds. This is just a consistent way that the Bible talks about joy. And it is very different from what you'd expect to read. It's very different from what we expect to experience because biblical joy does not come from our circumstances. Biblical joy, it comes from a different source. It, it comes from the character of God. And because joy comes from God and not our circumstances, therefore, there is this availability of joy no matter what it is that we may be facing. And this is hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to, to, to comprehend. And it is, it has always been a, a, one of those things that is, that is difficult to, to catch. Let me show you this from a different angle, and we'll go really deep here, but let me show you this in a different way. And so I want you to remember that when we read the New Testament, the New Testament was not written in English, it was written in Greek. And, and in Greek, throughout the New Testament, there is one consistent word that is used uh, for joy. And it is the Greek word kara. It's fruit of the Spirit is kara, joy. This is the word that is used really consistently throughout the New Testament. Now, kara is closely related to another Greek word, Charis, you can hear the similarity, kara, charis. Charis is the word that we translate as grace. Now, grace just means gift. So we think about maybe Ephesians 2. It is by grace that is God's gift that we are saved by faith. It is, is, it is by grace that God works in our life. That is this unmerited, undeserved favor that God works in our life. So, so charis is God's gift to us. And when you understand the linkage of these two words, kara and, and charis, this linkage is really important because what it means to us is that, is that joy or, or kara, it does not originate within us and it does not originate from the circumstances around us. It, it originates from what we receive from the Father through His grace shown to us in the Son. It, it, it's something that we receive as we believe in Him and live in a right relationship with Him that it then becomes the natural outgrowth. So it's not something that originates within us just by our own willpower or ability to think positive, nor is it something that, that we see from our circumstances that determines whether or not we have joy. It is a gift that is given to us by the Father. Now, where this gets really interesting and helpful and really profoundly challenging is when you notice that the way that the New Testament writers use this word kara, joy, they are doing something that is incredibly unique to their day. This is not the way that um, people would have written in the first century, other people who didn't believe. This is not at all the way that, that people spoke or thought about. And so it's, it's, um, it's, we need to understand, uh, this, this way that the world worked in the first century to really understand the depths of this profound thing that they're saying about the nature of joy and how it is different from what it is you expect to receive from the world. So, um, in the first century, just like today, people wanted joy. 
And, and back then, just like today, people wrote about joy. I mean, you can go on Amazon and find all kinds of self-help books about how to have joy in the moment and to live in the moment, to be mindful, to, to you know, have a positive mindset and, and growth mindset, all these kinds of things. There's all kinds of writing out there that you'll find today about how to grow in joy. Well, in the first century, it was very similar to that, actually. In the first century, there was lots of writing and thinking and teaching about how to live the good life. That's how the philosophers usually talked about it, was the good life. And, and the good life, part of the good life, of course, was, was joy. Now, one of the main writers, thinkers, um, people out there that really pushed this idea of the good life, other than these philosophers, is a name I'm sure you've heard before, but that's the, the name Plato. And so Plato's philosophies were huge in the first century, so influential. This is the dominant worldview that people had in those days about how to live the good life and how to navigate life was through really the lens of the teaching of Plato. And Plato, as he talked about the good life, talked a lot about joy. But Plato did this really interesting thing when he talked about joy, because he didn't just um, use the word kara, he used two words to talk about joy, and he used them interchangeably, kind of like we do with joy and happiness. We use those two words interchangeably, even though they mean different things. And so Plato would use the word kara, just like the New Testament writers would. But then Plato would also use another word, and this is actually his more dominant word that he would use, and this is the word hedone. So in the Greek, he would talk about the good life, how it's the result of living into this, this idea of, of hedone. And this is the, the dominant word that he used. And hedone, what it means is pleasure. And that makes sense that, that pleasure would be the source of joy. Now we get this really interesting and, and really challenging and really pretty profound is, is when you realize that the way that the New Testament writers used these words then was, was very, very different than how everyone else used them. So everyone else around them in the first century used these two words interchangeably. But the New Testament writers consistently, when they talked about this joy that we have from God in Christ, consistently used the word kara. They're always talking about this in terms of this thing that we receive in our life. Um, instead, they did use the word hedone, but they didn't use it in a positive like Plato would have or other philosophers of that day would have. Instead, when they came across the word hedone, they always used it negatively. They condemned it. Let me give you some examples of this. Titus chapter three. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and hedone, pleasures. James chapter four, verse three. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your hedone, pleasures. Two Peter uh, chapter two, their idea of hedone, pleasure, is to carouse in broad daylight. So the way that the New Testament writers use these words kara to really describe joy and hedone as this worldly kind of pursuit of pleasure would have been a very strange thing to do in the first century because the thought was in the wider world around them that hedone, pleasure, is really the source of joy. And this is really what Plato and the other prominent philosophers taught, that if you want to live the good life, then you need to seek after pleasure, hedone, and you need to avoid pain. But as the Christians emerged, they had this very different message because they were challenging this view and they were confronting this view. And they said, no, 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 hedone is not the source of joy. Christ is the source of joy. 
he gives it to us as a gift and we when we live in a relationship with him. And so we, it's something that we receive in our life when we submit our lives to him is we receive this joy. We don't find it in the pleasures around us. We find it from a right relationship with him where we live in obedience to him, where we live our lives um, for his purposes. And, and, and so by using these words like this, these early Christians are confronting their culture with a very different um, invitation to a very different kind of joy. A joy that's found in the death to self. A joy that's found in submission to God in Christ. A joy that's found not in pursuing my own desires and pleasures and happiness and ambitions, but one is that is found in a relationship with my Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. It's a very different source of joy. Now that invitation is just as confrontational today as it was then. Because there is an English word that we get from this Greek word, hedene. And I've been saying this word, hedene, over and over, wondering if anyone might pick it up, which word we might use from English. But the English word we get from this Greek word, hedene, is the word hedonism. And, and hedonism, if you're not familiar with that word, it's okay, don't feel bad. It's, it's you know, a f- philosophical word. But um, hedonism is a way of living that seeks pleasure and avoids pain. It seeks pleasure and avoids pain. And while, while its roots are in ancient Greek culture and philosophy, I would argue that hedonism is the dominant worldview in secular Western culture today. It is the way that most people live. That's not to say that people are intentionally embracing hedonism as like a philosophy or a morality or a, or a religion. It's not like people are like studying, you know, the tenets of hedonism to be good hedonists. But no, no, this is just a way that most people live. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people live their life with a simple idea. I want to seek pleasure. I want to avoid pain. And if I can seek pleasure, then I'm going to be happy. And if I'm happy, then life is good. That is what life is about. So I'm going to chase after comfort and wealth, and I'm going to chase after reputation and things that elevate me. And so you think about some of the platitudes that you hear people say around us today. Things like, um, follow your heart, live your truth. Uh, you got to work hard to play hard. I mean, these, these ideas are straight up hedonism. That if I can just pursue happiness, I can be happy, then that is the, the way to a good life. I mean, have you ever heard someone who's getting like career advice and, and they might be told something like this, like, doesn't matter what you do, you just gotta be happy. <laughs> I mean, I've heard that a lot. And what, what does that come from? It, it comes from hedonism, that this is what I'm gonna pursue, that, that my life is mostly about just being happy. And the thing about happiness is that when you make that your goal, happiness is always, 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 always circumstantial. And so therefore, if you're not happy in your life, the hedonistic solution was to change your circumstances. Because if I can change my circumstances, then I'll be happy. So for instance, if you're not happy with your job, well, don't do the hard work of like discerning God's purpose for your life. And don't do the hard work of understanding your vocation and, and seeking to faithfully serve God in that vocation. And don't do the hard work that, that seeks to honor God and blesses the world through self-sacrificial kind of work. No, 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 don't do any of that. Just get a new job. Change the circumstance. Get a new job. Get one that makes you happy. Get one that pays better. Get a new job. 
If you're not happy in your marriage, don't do the hard work of, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation and, and, uh, seeking, seeking the good of an, of another. Don't do, don't do the hard work of counseling and repentance and honoring the covenant that you've made. No, don't do that hard work of that because you're not happy in your marriage. The solution is simply this. Get out of your marriage. After all, you're not happy. Or if you're not happy with yourself, you know, don't do the hard work of trying to determine what does God think of me and how does God see me and doing the introspection needed to understand what I'm not happy with about myself. No, don't do the hard work of repentance and, and living in submission to the Bible and, and the biblical teaching. No, 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 don't do the hard work of that. No, 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 just, just self-medicate and then you'll be happy. Cover up your pain. This is hedonism. This should sound familiar. Because this is how lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people live. Now, what happens when happiness, pleasure, hedonia, is the chief virtue of your life? What happens is that you never actually find it. Because the more you pursue happiness as the chief goal of your life, the less happy you're actually going to be. Now, there will be moments where you are like fleeting happiness. You know, you're sitting on the beach, you're enjoying your vacation. There are these moments where like the circumstances are just perfect, but you're not gonna find the deep, abiding, abundant joy that you're looking for because you've based your life just on your circumstances. That's hedonism. And if you think about it, the reason why hedonism is so popular and so common today is because this is really the only logical conclusion to a secular worldview. And by the word secular, I mean like a worldview that, that doesn't see God active in the world. Because if you live a, a life where you don't see God active in the world and you think of yourself just as an evolutionary accident, you think of your neighbor in the same kind of way that we're just here, that all that I am is my body and my flesh and my bones and there's no soul or spirit. And if all that I have are these years on earth, there's no life everlasting. And this is how you see yourself. Well, by all means, seek pleasure first and foremost. Seek happiness first and foremost because that's all that you have. But that's not how we see ourselves. That's not how we understand the world. We know that we are the creation of a God who loves us. We know that we were made in His image and His likeness. We know that He cares about us deeply and loves us and is involved in us. And we know that in Him we will live forevermore. And so we know that the only path to the good life was one that's actually lived in submission to Him, where I die to myself and I rise to Christ, where I put my ambitions, my goals, my happiness on the back burner, and I receive from Him what it is that I'm truly looking for. You see, when Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is joy, he's doing a couple things there. One is he's confronting his culture because he's saying, no, no, it's not Hayden The fruit of the Spirit is not just pleasure and happiness and circumstantial things that take place in your life. No, 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 no. There is a joy that is much, much deeper. It is the fruit of the Spirit is kara. It is this gift that is given to us. And that's the second thing he's doing is he's, he's offering us an invitation to the kind of life where we reorient how we think about ourselves, not as just here living for the pleasure, living for the moment, living for whatever makes us happy right now, basing our, our life and our, and our experiences just, just on, our, on our circumstances around us. No, no, no. He's inviting us to have a proper relationship with the Father through Jesus, where we submit to Him, where we trust Him, where we live in obedience to Him, where we put ourselves on the back burner in order to follow Him more faithfully. And when you do that, when you reorient your life towards Him and His character and what He has for you, 
Don't be surprised when you find things like joy growing in your life. Don't be surprised that even when you face hardship, disappointment, setback, grief, pain, difficulty, that even then there is this abiding sense of joy that you can't really explain. And don't be surprised that when you put yourself last and you begin to serve other people and you begin to give generously and you begin to have a, have a mindset of service instead of being served, you seek to serve others. Don't be surprised when that happens that you actually find joy in that process. Why? Well, because now you're living in the proper relationship with the Father through Jesus. And as that takes place in your life, don't be surprised that the natural outcome is this unexplainable, deep, abiding joy. This is what's offered to us as a gift in His Son, Jesus. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today, as we consider this gift that you give us in your Son, first of all, we need to understand and think about and reconcile the ways that maybe we're chasing after joy and happiness in all the wrong places. We're basing our well-being on, on the circumstances around us instead of on your gift to us. And so we want to hear this challenge that the New Testament gives us, that, that joy is not found in Hayden. It's not found in the pleasures of today. It's found in a deep abiding relationship with you. Forgive us for the ways that we chase after these externals instead of seeking a relationship with you. For anyone here who doesn't know the gift of God that you've given us in Jesus, we just want to offer a simple prayer for anyone who wants to receive this in their life. We just say simply, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? Help me to, to live in a relationship with you. And as we begin to live in a relationship with you, submit to you, live in obedience to you, and honor you with our life, would you grow within us this fruit of the Spirit of joy? It's in your name we pray today. Amen. Thank you so much, friends, for joining us in worship today. We hope you found this experience something that encourages you, challenges you, and provokes you this week in terms of how you're going to follow Christ and how the Spirit's going to do a good work in your own heart and life. A big thank you to those who helped produce today's worship experience. To Jen Brown, to Alec Knopf, to Pastor Spencer, to the worship team, big thanks to one and all of you. If you were really helped by today's worship service, we encourage you to take a moment to like and share. And if you found it flat, forget I said anything about it. Not really. So take a moment to like and share. We look forward to seeing you next week. We'll continue on with the fruit of the Spirit. We go love, joy, peace. Oh, our world needs peace. We look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week, friends. And remember, the grace of the Lord goes in front of you. It surrounds you, comes up behind you. It's on both sides of you. The Lord loves you. Have a great week. Shackles I wear 
Thank God that stone was a rose. 